0: Good morning. Well, my name is uh, Ryan. I've known FUD for about 10 years now. It's kind of hard to believe. Uh, so I just turned 30 this year, so I'm starting to feel it, you know. can't do the things I used to do anymore. I uh, can't preach for as long as I used to anymore, so that's good for you. Uh, but I'm excited to be here with you guys, and uh, I'm really excited about this partnership that we are making with you guys because... As you're going to hear as I talk today, we need you. I mean, we do. We need, uh, we need this to be a strong and a good and healthy partnership for us and for you and for the people, for the millions of people where we'll be living who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ in the context that you and I know and love and worship Him as Savior. They just have no idea. And so today we're going to talk about his mission for us in this world. Um, I think sometimes there's a lot of confusion about what that means. You know, what does it mean to be missional? What does it mean to live out God's purposes in this world? I think there's a lot of confusion about it. And it's kind of, uh, we hear that word, and the word is, kind of means something to us, but at the same time, it can just be one of those other tag words that we use um, to to make us feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, to make us feel like we're living like we're supposed to be living. Like when we were little, the word was, you know, in Sunday school we would say Jesus for everything, and now that we get older, you know, what are you, what are you trying to do? Well, we're just trying to be missional with our lives, you know? And we say that, but there's just, I think there can be a lack of clarity, kind of like at the time, my wife, um, she grew up in Asia. Her name is Liz. When she was in high school, she was driving um, through Texas on a road trip with her dad and her sister, and she really didn't have any context for what was going on in America because she had lived in all over Asia, and um, they were looking for somewhere to eat, and they dro- they, they drove by this uh, the road, and they saw a little sign on the road, and it was for... Uh, for this one particular place. And her said da- her sister said, Daddy, Daddy, uh, why don't we stop and eat there? And her dad was like, uh, wh- where is it? And he's like, she said, Jiffy Lube. And he was like, uh, I don't think that's a restaurant. And Liz, my wife, said, uh, yeah, it is, Dad. Uh, they uh, have Quaker State. It must be a, a breakfast place. Um, and so sometimes, you know, you can, you can hear or see a word or a place and think about it, but you think about it wrongly. And I think not that we necessarily think about being missions-minded wrongly, But I think sometimes uh, it's just a word that we throw out, but we really don't think about what it means. Um, And so I want to look at Matthew 28 today. Um, In this, in my Bible and probably in yours, there's a subheading that says the Great Commission. Now, this is really important. Um, You probably haven't been studying Matthew this week. Maybe you have, but this is a huge Huge, this is the, the climax of the book of Matthew. It's one of the most important parts of the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, the writer, has been intentionally showing Jesus to be the Messiah of the Jewish people. Not just another teacher, um, not just another, another prophet, but the Son of God and the Savior of God's people. And when Jesus came, he, is the, he has come to show them... Uh, what it really means to live as the people of God. And so at the end of the book, as he, after he has um, been crucified and died um, on the cross and, and now been resurrected and raised from the dead, um, he gives his disciples this commission as they are to go out into the world as he is about to ascend um, into heaven. And I'm just going to read the passage, if you'll read it with me, and then I want us to see... I think four things that are really clear about what it means to live missionally in this world as a follower of Jesus. It says in verse 16 Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, this is kind of important that they go to this mountain because the mountain in Matthew is a place of revelation. It's a place where Jesus is going to give them really, really important teaching and instruction. I mean, you, you've all heard of the Sermon on the Mount and probably read it. He does it there. And over and over again in this book of Matthew, when Jesus is going to teach his followers something important, they go to the mountain. And so they go to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, these, his disciples, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. And Jesus came and he said this to them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to see four things. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. They're going to come up on the screen of what it means to live missionally for God in this world. Uh, I heard somebody talk about this. Um, He said, you know, this was last week, I heard somebody say this, in fact, he said, you know, what does it mean, why, why, when we know that the end of our lives is probably going to be a cancerous, miserable death, you know, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be better if God would just take us right in the moment we became a christian we would like evaporate into thin air and we would just go and be with god in eternity you know but he doesn't do that he doesn't do that because he's given us a reason to be here on this earth he's given us a a mission to do in this world and the four things i want you to see that if we're going to live missionally for god that we have to do are these first we have to submit to jesus I want you to notice in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, why do we submit to Jesus? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is not just another person. He's not just, you know, a great teacher. He is the Son of God, risen from the dead right here, appearing to his followers. And he's telling them, the reason I'm going to tell you to do what you're going to do, the reason that you're going to do it is because I'm God. So, the reason that we want to live missionally and the, and the way that we live missionally in, in life is by submitting all of our lives to Jesus. Now, that's a simple thing to say. You've probably thought of that before, but I want to ask you the question in what ways are you not submitting your life to Jesus? You know, for all of us, it's different. And for all of us, um, it, it could be a relationship that you have, it could be the way that you spend your money, it could be the way that you spend your time. But the way that you live missionally first is by submitting everything that you have to Him. And so, that's what we do. We submit our lives to Jesus because He is God. He is God's Son, and He is the ultimate authority in all of the universe for how to live and for for why we do what we do. The second thing I want you to see is that... um, to live missionally, we have to commit to the task of disciple-making. Now, this is um, really important. One of the things that happens when we talk about the Great Commission is there's a lot of emphasis. There's the word, go. You see, it says, Jesus says, All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go. And sometimes, when we think about that, too much is made of that word, go. Go, in that verse, is not the command. The command isn't, Go. The command is make disciples, okay? And when you look at the language and the way that it works, the the emphasis in verse 19 is to make disciples. But we make a lot of going. But you know what the word go means? Jesus was just saying, as you go. It's basically the idea of as you're living life, make disciples of all peoples of the world. And so there's a couple things that I I want, a couple questions I want to ask. First, what does this mean? You know what I mean? We talk about the, 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 that our task is disciple making. What does this mean? Well, I think oftentimes we think of disciple making and we think of, um, I mean, at least the way I always used to think about it was I would have this guy and he would mentor me and he would tell me a bunch of stuff. And I would learn a bunch of stuff, and then he would tell me more stuff, and then I'd learn more stuff, and it was basically this inward focused thing where we would just meet together and nothing would come of it, and it was something that happened after I became a Christian. But disciple making starts with lost people. Okay? So, you guys are here in Rock Hill. Okay? Disciple making happens after we become a Christian. We grow, we're taught to, as Jesus says, to obey everything that he commanded us to obey, okay? And we learn to do that. That's a lifelong process. But all of us are committed to that on the front end, too, of reaching people so that they first become disciples, okay? And so that's really important. See, the emphasis is not just on going. So we can kind of make that into this big, um, grandiose idea that, Well, if if we're going to obey the Great Commission, we all just have to get on a plane and go somewhere that's not America, and we have to go. So Jesus basically said it there. He said, go and make disciples. And so that's kind of the idea that we get in our mind. And so then... You know, there's this, uh, the the everyday living, the mundane living, you know, the getting up in the morning, the going to work, the living in York County, the, the working in Charlotte, the going to school at Winthrop. That kind of gets relegated to, um, well, we, we just, in some ways, it's kind of not a part of this for us. But the idea is really that as you live life, you're to make disciples. And another thing that we do a lot of times with this is we, we tend to put this responsibility on, quote, leaders, you know, pastors, missionaries, worship people, uh, people who are really mature Christians and, and who get it. And so we kind of come to church and we kind of do our own thing. But this isn't really for us. But, but Jesus was talking to all the people gathered around him. And the 12 disciples were there, you know, the guys that had been following him around. But there was probably a group other than them there. And he was talking to all the people who would be his followers. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I have a question for you. Are you committed to the task of making disciples? And if you're not, if that's not one of your primary aims and goals and desires for your life, then unfortunately you're not living missionally. You might can go build a house uh, and do a construction project. Maybe you've been on a mission trip to South America and you visited an orphanage. But if your task there wasn't to make disciples and it's not here to make disciples, then you're not living missionally. And I know that's kind of like, that seems really intimidating, okay? But if God didn't vaporize us and take us to heaven, what did he leave us for? He left us here for that. He left us here to be disciple-makers. And so, I want us to ask one more question. So, what does this mean? It means that we're all called to the task of starting with lost people, seeing them, by God's power, come into a relationship with God through His Son, and then teaching them, like Jesus said, to obey everything that He commanded. And so, it starts with a process of us Sharing the gospel with people, of God saving them, and then of us continuing that work for a lifetime, and them doing the same thing, committing to the task of making disciples. We would rather have a big church, and just say, "Well, we could just—we should all just invite people to church." Uh, that was the mentality I had for a long time. Is that? Uh, when I was in ministry and I was a youth pastor, I would always try to get my students to just invite their friends to youth group, because for me, something felt more significant about big numbers. But the, the way that we are going to make an impact, the biggest impact in this community, in any community, in this world, is by being people who are committed to making disciples. And so, if a church like this size commits to making disciples, then in three years, this building won't be big enough for you, but it won't be because you have a great worship team or because you're doing all the right things as a church on Sunday morning. But it'll be because you're doing the work that God wants you to do in this world, and that's the way that anything that's the only way that anything significant is going to come about here or anywhere in the world. Because we can all draw a crowd, uh, but we're, what we're all really called to do is to make disciples second question I want you to ask yourself is, am I slash are we as Remedy Church being strategic and intentional? See, one of the things I think that you could take from this is, well, as I go make disciples, so we kind of could think it could be something that just kind of just happens as we go, you know, just kind of like... um, As we go, we get thirsty, and as we go, we get hungry. So, you know, we just think, well, maybe that'll just happen on its own. Uh, Or we don't really have a plan for how that's going to happen. And the problem is, when we don't have a plan, and when we're not living strategically and intentionally, it's not going to happen. So, my question to you is, as a result of your life over the past five or ten years, who's become a disciple, and who are you actively walking through the process of growing as a follower of jesus with right now how many people have you led to christ in the last several years how many people have you even thought about have you even been prayed for have you even tried to be intentional with in that time If not, this isn't like a sermon to make you feel bad or um, this text isn't here just to make you feel guilty because guilt doesn't motivate us to do anything. The only thing that motivates us to do anything is the fact that Jesus died, rose from the dead on our behalf, and lives in us by his spirit, that he loves us, and his love is what motivates us to do that. There's nothing else that really would work. Because I can sit here and make you feel bad, or you can try to make yourself feel bad, um, but that's the wrong way to try to grow. That's the exact opposite way that you should try to grow. So the motive's not, I haven't done it. The motive is, what am I supposed to do? And, you know, we're supposed to live intentionally. So what does that mean? Okay, um... You don't have to raise your hands, but I want you to think about this. How many of you uh, like to go out to eat at the same places? You have a favorite spot that you like to go to eat. Yeah. Okay. Fudd raised his hand. Thanks. Thanks, John. Uh, how many of you? Um, how many of you have neighbors? How many of you work in a job and at your place of work there are a lot of people there who aren't Christians? You know. Okay. So let's take the restaurant. And I'm just going to combine all these and and just kind of share with you from some of the experiences I've had over the last year. Uh, The last year, Liz and I, you know, we're going to Asia, but we've been kind of waiting to go to Asia. And uh, I was a seminary student before that, and so um, I had to find a full-time job once I finished school and for this year that we've been waiting. And so I've had this really cool job at this little local bakery and cafe. So we do, like, we make, you know, coffee drinks, and we make bread, and we make muffins, and it's good. Um... Somehow I've lost weight working there. I don't know how that happened. Uh, But we also, like, served lunch. And so I worked with three other people really closely all year long. Uh, And I was the only Christian there. And uh, we had people there that come in all the time that we build a really good relationship with, customers. And a lot of those people are Christians. And you know who the worst tippers are? Christians. They're the worst. We stink at tipping I don't know if we think it's because we're supposed to, you know, be good stewards of what we have, and so it means that we're supposed to, you know, um, be as cheap as we possibly can when we go out to eat. But we just were terrible at it, and uh, and you know, Christians had this reputation among the staff that I work with, and as basically um, the most stingy, rude, um, ungenerous people that you've ever met, and so they would basically just. They would just basically make fun. They knew, I mean, obviously they knew I was a Christian and they liked me a lot, but they would just be like, what is up? What's up with your people? You know, what's going on? And um, and I had no. I had nothing. You know, what am I going to say? Because the, the same people would leave me like, you know, there'd be a $30 bill and they'd leave me like a nickel. And, you know, and they'd be like, God bless you. And I'd be like, oh no, I hope God blesses you so that you could bless me some more. Um, but, you know, it's it's like, how is that intentional? And why is that important? Well, because you're building relationships with people everywhere you go. And, and everywhere you go, as you go, you're called to make disciples. And so I don't care if it's at a restaurant that you go to. For me, you know, my big place, like I was telling you about, was this place I worked. And it was my job there to try and, and by God's you know power, see people come... To be disciples. And so that was where he placed me, and that was my that was one of my places that I was to do that. So are you being are you being intentional? You know, if you're in college, are you intentional on your hall? If you live in a neighborhood, what do you do in your neighborhood? What do you do at your job? How are you intentionally making disciples? You know, and if you're not being intentional, don't kick yourself about it. Just think about the gospel. Think about everything that God's done for you through Jesus. And just say, that's all the motivation I need to change the way I'm living. Uh, Sometimes it'll happen in ways that you just don't even expect. Like there was this grocery store by our house. And it was a Middle Eastern grocery store. And uh, I really like um, ethnic food. Maybe that's part of the reason I want to move overseas. But um, it's really not. But it's a big bonus. Uh, but I really like to make ethnic food, and sometimes I make it really well, and sometimes it's just the d- most disgusting thing. It tastes like I'm eating like a dog or something. And um, But one thing I've gotten, I, I perfected this recipe for hummus, and it was like this Persian hummus from like this, from like, you know, Ara- Iran or whatever, Iran. And um, so there was this Middle Eastern Persian grocery store by our house, um, and um Some of the people were from Iran who owned it, and some of the people were from Afghanistan. Okay? Now, if you don't know anything about Afghanistan, it's like one of the least reached countries in the whole world. Like, almost nobody in Afghanistan is a Christian. And so, these people had moved to the States, and I was just in there... um, and there was a young college student who was a part of the family who was learning to speak English and stuff. And so I just decided to just go to that store. I could go to a lot of international grocery stores, but this was a small place. I was like, you know, whenever I need this stuff, I'm just going to go to this store. And uh, I met this guy there named Navid and uh, just realized that Navid wanted friends. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to keep going back to this place, even if I really don't need anything. And so For a period of a couple months, I would go there all the time. I'd get my chickpeas and whatever, you know, tahini, the stuff that you put in hummus. And I just started talking with this guy, Naveed. Come to find out that he, uh, you know, was a Muslim. Surprise, surprise, right? And so I just started asking him questions about his faith, and he started to say, well, what do you believe? What are you here for? Why do you live in town? And so we started talking, and I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. He said, oh, yeah, we kind, of, we kind of have Jesus in our faith, too. And I said, well, not really, um, not the real Jesus. And he was like, well, what does that mean? And so we started to talk about that. How are you intentional with your life here in Rock Hill, here in York County, the city that you live in? The third thing that um, we, we see that we have to submit to Jesus, we have to commit to the task of disciple making. And the third thing we see in this passage is that we have to embrace God's purposes for the nations. See, one of the things about the book of Matthew is, like I said earlier, Matthew was writing to show that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah because Matthew was writing to the Jewish people. Mostly, That was kind of his target group of people. He wanted to show them that Jesus was their Savior, that Jesus was God, and that he had come to show them how to be God's people in the world. And and so, like, as we go through Matthew, uh, he shows us this over and over and over again. And one of the things that he's trying to show the Jewish people um, that Jesus was teaching was that no longer were just the Jews God's chosen people. But now God's message of, of salvation and um, His way of being a follower, one of His followers, was extended to all nations of the world. The word here doesn't mean like um, like a geopolitical nation, like the United States of America, as opposed to um, you know Germany or China or another country in the world. But it refers to people groups. And I know you guys talk about this, but a people group is a group of people who share a common language and culture. And in our world today, there's tens of there are tens of thousands of different people groups, and God's purpose was to extend his offer of salvation to all people groups of the world. And so as we live missionally, one of the most important things to, in living missionally that we see here is that we have to embrace God's purposes for the nations and we have to have a love for all the peoples of the world and a heart for all the people of the world to hear the gospel of Christ, to be able to respond to that gospel, and to be able to live as a follower of Christ in their culture. All of us. It doesn't mean all of you have to go. See, when I said earlier that we make too much of that word go... We can also make too little of it, because some of us will ultimately go. I mean, I know there are some of you in this church who are thinking about going and serving overseas because your heart is for the people of the world who don't know Christ. The the New Testament talks a lot about this idea, um, and a couple places I just want to take you really quickly. In Revelation 7-9, it talks about what it's going to be like when we're in heaven. And I think when you're in a church like this or a church like the church that we we are members at, um, you can forget that heaven is not going to be just a place filled with white people um, or people who are like you or dress like you or act like you. Uh, John says, this is what he saw, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, this is Revelation 7-9, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne... And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, "Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb." And so you have this picture of heaven that it's not going to be like it is here today, but it's going to be people from every tribe, and nation, and tongue, and they're going to speak all kinds of languages, and uh, and they're going to be different. And God's purpose is for all of those people to be able to cry out that salvation is only through Him. Um, Paul um, wrote about his ministry, and he said this in Romans 15, uh, verses 19 through 20. We'll start with 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around. Whoa, Uh, wasn't ready for that. I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then he says this. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. Okay? So, you might not be called to go overseas, but you are called to the nations. And by, by our partnership, if you're not called maybe to live over there or to work over there, you'll be able to be involved in God's work in the nations. Um, Revelation said that there were going to be people from every nation in heaven. But did you know that there's over a billion people in our world who have no access to hear the message of the gospel? People that will live their whole lives and they will die and go to hell and do a Christless eternity and they will have never heard the gospel before. Um, Two years ago, I went on a trip to India and I was riding on the top of this bus um, with... This guy named Abul, he was a rickshaw driver. And um, I found my heart racing and breaking at the same time. Racing because I'm on top of a bus, right? And we're like weaving in out of traffic and like dodging horses and bikes and motorbikes. And that was scary uh, on a one two-lane road. Um, but broken because we had just gotten on the bus after we had traveled off the main road into Muslim villages. And for the first time in my life, I had met and talked with people. Muslim religious teachers, and men and women, um, much like you and me, just from a different country and a different culture, who had never heard the name of Jesus outside of the context of of a lifeless religion um, of Islam. There are people like that all over the world. And um, as you partner with us, we'll be moving to a city... But said, a big city in Southeast Asia. Um, I want you to think about it like this. It's about the size. It's a big, geographically, it's a large city. So it's about the size, maybe a little bit bigger than York County. But our city is like taking the population of the entire state of South Carolina, doubling it, and then putting them all to live here in York County. Okay? And we're going to move there with our little daughter. She's 18 months old. Her name's Miriam. And we're going to be church planting strategists in that city. Um, the best of our knowledge, there have been almost no churches planted there or started there in the last 20 years. Um, and there, are, there are 10 million people there, or eight to 10 million people there now in the city in the metro area. And by most estimates, that number is going to grow from to 15 to 20 million within 10 years. Less than 2% of the people in our city are followers of Christ. And so what that means by the percentages is that most of the people in our city have not heard. And if no one goes to tell them, will never hear the gospel before they die. And so we're going there to start churches, to to share the gospel with people. And our hope is that every man, woman, and child in our city would have the opportunity to hear and to respond to the clear message of, of Christ um, while we work there. And that as they become Christians, because God will save people there, there's no doubt in my mind that God is going to do stuff there. And as they become Christians, our job is to Commit to the task of discipling them, to help them to start churches, and to help them know how to disciple others, so that someday there can be hundreds or maybe by God's grace thousands of churches in this city, and we can leave and they can plant churches among their people without our help. And you guys are partnering with us in that in that task. Some of you might end up coming and living there during the summer. Some of you might end up graduating from college and there might be a journeyman position open and you could come work with us for a couple years. Some of you will come for two weeks at a time. um, Or some of you might, you know, might start coming and come regularly, stay in your job here and just get so involved in in our work over there that it becomes one of your biggest passions in life. And if you don't come and if you don't join us in that way, all of you, I hope, will pray for us every week. And um, there will be emails that will go out to you on a regular basis that FUD will disperse to you. And we'll, we'll work out how to do that so that you can just be praying for us on a regular basis. Um, so to be, to be a missions-minded Christian, to be a missional Christian, we have to submit to Jesus. We have to commit to the task of disciple-making. We have to embrace God's purposes for the nations. And finally... Um, and this is just a real succinct point. we have to rely on god 's power. you know as we live as Christians uh, nothing that good that happens comes because we do it you know maybe maybe you think that you 're doing a really good job and you feel really proud of yourself and you 've You've read the Bible, you know, uh, four times this summer already, or you've, you know, uh, shared your faith with thirty people, um, or you've, you know, you've defeated this battle that you had with this one particular area of struggle or sin in your life. Um, but nothing good that happens in your life happens because you do it. And as we're on mission with God, nothing good that happens as we do that, as we work and share the gospel with our family members and our coworkers, nothing. Nothing good that happens happens because of what we do. Everything that's good that happens happens because God is powerful, because Jesus, as he said, really does have all authority in heaven and on earth, and because, like he said in verse 20, he says that he is with us always to the end of the age. So if you were thinking that you you had a lot to offer people, you really don't. But God has everything to offer people, and God uses people like me who are so messed up and who can be such a terrible husband at times and who, you know, who can lose my temper or lose my patience with my child at times, you know, and just who who gives into stupid sins and just gets so frustrated and kicks himself all the time. He uses people like us, not because of anything that we do, but because he's with us and because of his power. And so as you're, as you're thinking about living on mission for God here and around the world, you have to be reliant on God's power. You know, I have an 18-month-old, and um, I hope that by the time she's able to, uh, you know, at least for a couple years of her life, when she thinks about me as her dad, uh, she basically thinks there's nothing I can't do, uh, there's nothing I can't lift or pick up, um, you know, so i 'm going to try to do push ups with her on my back for as long as possible, so she just realizes just how incredibly strong and powerful I am, and so when she has a problem, she turns to me for help um, and, and, and not anybody else. and how often do we forget that as we walk with with our Father and we have the presence of Jesus living inside of us? That we don't have to do anything. That we don't have to have the strength. That God provides us with that power. So God isn't going to build this church. God, or, I mean, you're not going to build this church. <laughs> Sorry about that. You're, you're not going to build this church and make it a great church by anything that you do. But God is going to build Remedy Church. We're not going to do anything great in the city that we moved to in, in Asia. But God is going to do great things. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because He is the Son of God. Because He's alive. We don't worship a lifeless idol. We worship a living God. Who is able to do more than anything we could ask or imagine. And He is the God that we live for and that we worship. So the team's going to come and we're going to worship Him now. And then we're going to be sent out to live missional lives this week. And I want you to think about those, a couple of those questions I ask you. Um, first, what does it mean? I want you to think this week about what does it mean to commit to the task of disciple-making. Uh, I want you to think about how am I being strategic and intentional in that here. And then I want you to think about how you're going to be involved in God's, God's purposes for the nations. So would you pray with me as, uh, as the worship team comes out and, and begins to lead us? God, we just thank you that um, that your word is true. We don't have to do anything um, to change it, but it has power to change us. And so we just thank you, God, that uh, you've given us something to do in this world that's um, better than our most exciting hobby or better than watching our favorite sport on TV. And I just pray that we would naturally, based on who we are, Lord, uh, be obedient to this mission that you've given us in the world to make disciples of all peoples of the earth. And we worship you and we do that because you're alive and because you have saved us. You saved us from sin that we don't even want to ever show anybody. You saved us from in eternity without Christ. And you've brought us into your family. And you've made us your sons and daughters. And so God, we praise you because you are the true and living God.